I want to share a little poem with you from the late, great Dr. Seuss. He's this legendary children's book writer. You probably have heard of him. Uh, but he tells these moral kind of stories with a big punch. He's got a lot of wit and humor to him. And uh, he writes this one poem about the fork in the road, right? The fork in the road of life. And, and this is what he writes. This is just so clever. I, I want to share it with you. It says, did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to a sign in the fork of the road. He looked one way and then the other way too. The Zode had to make a, up his mind as to what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot. So how will I know if I will like it or not? On the other hand though, I'd feel like such a fool if I go to place two and I find it's quite cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe, I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who did not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. Uh, clever little story about the fork in the road. You know, all of us have these decisions in life, right? I mean, we make decisions every day about all kinds of things. And most of those decisions are, they're small. They're, they're, they have very little consequence to them. You know, it's like, where are you going to go to lunch? Or what kind of jelly are you going to put on your sandwich? You know, uh, they're, they're very preferential, you know, kind of decisions based on taste. But but other decisions are big. And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you have these decisions that come your way that that are overwhelming, that carry a lot of weight, that are really important, that could change your life. And, and while those decisions seem awfully difficult in the moment, many times they're not as difficult as we think because somewhere in our heart, in our soul, we know the choice we have to make. We know the direction we ought to go. But the problem is, is that many times, even though where we, where we know we ought to go is quite clear, uh, getting there is going to cost you something. Getting there is going to cost a lot. Like if you choose to head in a direction, you may lose friends, you may lose business, you may lose uh, all, all sorts of things in life. If, if you choose to leave an addiction, you know it's going to be a hard road to get there. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. Years ago, I heard of this story of a kid who was in a high school, and it's a true story. He was in a high school, and he wanted to be part of the play, and uh, he tried out for the part, and he got the part. It was actually a big part in the play, one of the leading parts. And uh, when he was reading through the script, he, he realized that there was some language in the script that he did not want to use. You know, there was some cussing and some just some foul language that, that he just didn't want to to, to use and and it was because he was a Christian like you know many of us who are Christians uh, we understand that there there's a certain language that ought not to just be part of who we are you know uh, that the scripture talks about obscene talk and obscene language and cursing and that sort of a thing and this young guy did not want to dishonor God and and so he made a decision that he would not compromise even though it could cost him the the part in the play and, and so uh, it was interesting though what he did to kind of work his way through this issue in his life he he actually said uh, uh, that he that he performed the part and when he came to that part he simply changed 
some of the lines. And he said that, that I didn't know how the director was going to react. I didn't know how some of the other kids were going to react. But, but I would not say those certain things. And so he just simply changed up some lines. And, and, and he said, and the funny thing was, nobody ever even noticed. Uh, he, it just kind of, the show went right on and, and everything was great. And what was impressive to me about this whole thing was, you know, he came to this fork in the road. He came to this decision and uh, he decided who he was, no matter what it was going to cost him. He decided that, that it was worth it to him to follow God. Now, what's interesting is we come to Jeremiah, right? We're in this old school series and it's our journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. And we're talking through the ancient book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was one of the great prophets. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament part of the Bible, Jesus is having this very interesting discussion with some of his closest followers. Uh, he's been out teaching, he's been out preaching, uh, he's been doing these miraculous things, and, 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 and people everywhere are watching him and seeing him, and he is wondering, what do people really think about him? He, he's actually going, man, I, I wonder what the crowds are thinking, right? And so he turns to his, uh, his, his disciples, and he, and he says, what do people think? Who do people say that I am? And it's interesting, uh, one of the disciples replies, well, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. And, and another disciple says, well, some people think you're Elijah, one of the prophets. And then another guy comes along and says, and some people even think you are Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the great prophet. Uh, I think that's interesting. Jeremiah was a great prophet. He was a faithful man of God. But he too wrestled with faith. Um, we're in chapters 10 through 15. We're going to kind of look at the middle section here of chapters 10 through 15. And, and we're about 10 years into his ministry, into his life uh, of preaching and teaching. And he's not having much luck. Uh, it has been a very difficult run. And it's like Jeremiah is starting to stand at the at this crossroad of his life, at this fork in the road where he's deciding which way he's going to go. And there's an interesting uh, passage that comes out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15. I'm just going to read a couple verses for you because he was, he was wondering, is this whole idea of being a prophet, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is it worth the struggle? And listen to what he says. When your words came to me, I ate them up. They were like joy to my heart. They were delight to my heart. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat at the company of revelers, never made merry with them. In other words, I was a good kid. I, 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 I was with you all the way through. Remember, he's, uh, he is the son of a priest. He's the son of a pastor. He's a pastor's kid. And so he says, I grew up good and I, and I loved the church. I love God. I love his word. And, and so he's saying all this and he says, so that's the kind of guy I am. And he goes, I sat alone because your hand was on me and you filled me with your indignation. In other words, I was different because you put your spirit in me and I looked at the world and it, and it caused me to, to, uh, to have this anger inside of me, this righteous anger because the world did not love you and follow you. He goes, that's the kind of guy I am. But listen to this, things are shifting inside of him right now. He says, so why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook, a spring that fails me? Now think about what he's saying. He's saying, God, where are you? I've been doing this for 10 years. God, I've been at this faithfully because you wanted me to be. And where are you? 
and he's literally standing at this fork in the road and he's saying, is this worth it? Is this whole profit thing even worth it? Well, let's talk about this fork in the road. So how are we doing, Metro? You guys tracking with me so far? Uh, Jeremiah the prophet is in this moment of faith crisis. Things are starting to fall apart in his life. Uh, he's, he's always been the good kid. He's always been the church kid. Uh, he, he, he says, I've never sat in the company of revelers. I, I've never made merry with them. What is he saying? He says, I, I'm not a partier. I've never been a partier. I've always been the straight kid, right? He, he says, I'm different because you have been with me. And, and he says, I've always been this way. I've always found faith in God. I've always tried to be faithful. As a matter of fact, uh, he was a church kid. Literally, he grew up in the church. Like He's a PK. Do you guys know what a PK is? Preacher's kid. Ooh, those preacher kids, right? I mean, that's what he was. Literally, he's a pastor's kid. And he says, I've always towed the line. I've always played it straight. But now at this point in his life, he's like, I'm not so sure that this whole preacher thing is worth it. I'm not so sure that faith is supposed to be this hard. I'm not so sure that, that this fight through life that you've called me, called me to is, it's what I really want out of my life and for my life. Uh, friends, he's struggling to find faith. And I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but, but I'm a Christian. It's at the very core. My faith is at the very core of who I am. And, and Lynette and I, um, at the very center of our home is the Christian faith. And, and friends, listen, there is so much that we want to give our kids. Uh, we want to give them every leg up in life. We want to help set them up for a win in any single way that I can. We want to give our kids a good education. We want to give them opportunities that we never had growing up. There's no doubt I want to do all that. But more than any of that, I want to pass on faith to my children. Lynette and I have at the very highest priority is that we give our faith to our children. But, but you, you, you understand this. Any parent in the room understands this. What's the problem with kids? They have their own mind, right? They have to figure this out for themselves. And, and, and friends, let me tell you something. It, it's really true. Um, when they're teenagers, uh, somewhere in those teen years, they, they hit this wall where, where they have a decision to make, where faith has to be their own. I wish I could make the decision for my kids, but ultimately... They have to wrestle through these hard questions, these big questions of life, and they have to figure it out for themselves because when they're little, they just kind of come along for the ride, right? Like, mom and dad, we're going to church, you're going to church. That's all there is to it, right? You go to youth camp, you're going to youth group, you're, you're kind of doing the whole deal because why? I said so. But somewhere along the way, and it's scary. It's really scary for me. But somewhere along the way, my kids and your kids have to wrestle with issues of faith on their own. And they got to figure out what direction they're going to move in, where they're going to go. And, and Jeremiah is at this point in his life, up until this point, it's been easy for him. He is just going with the flow. He is just working it out and it's all good and fine. But he's hit this sort of brick wall where he's like, I'm not so sure that this is worth it. He's saying, if God, if, if you are real, if you're, if you're real, where are you? 
God, if you're real, why don't you do something about this? God, I'm trying my best. I'm moving forward. I'm trying to be faithful to you. And you're not meeting me, right? And he says, I just don't get it. Anybody in the room ever hit that point in your own life where you're going, God, if you're real, I just don't get what's going on right here. Because I don't think it's supposed to be this hard to see you, to follow you, to know that you're real. Anybody with me on this? Well, that's where Jeremiah is. He's at this point where he's just going, okay, God, you're, you're not showing up for the party here. I'm showing up, but you're not showing up. God, you are failing me. What does he say? He says, you're like this brick, brick of water, the stream of water that is supposed to bring life to me, that's supposed to bring hope to me. But you're like a spring of water that's dried up. You're like a spring that's failing me. You're not coming through. And he feels this way because he's been faithful and he's been out there pounding the pavement forever. Nine, 10, 15 years at this point in his life, this whole section uh, uh, where we're at in his book and nobody is responding. Nobody is coming to his deal. Nobody is getting on his page and he is just ready to give up and give in. Now what's interesting is God hears Jeremiah say all this to him. And God has something to say back. Are you kind of curious about what God would say? Anybody in the room? You curious? Because listen, um, God has something to say and he shoots it very straightforward. Um, this, this is what he says to Jeremiah. Um, he says, it says, therefore this is what the Lord God says to Jeremiah. If you repent... Pause for a second. If you repent, I'm thinking like after all that Jeremiah's been through, I would figure God would show up and go, oh, so sorry. I'll do better. I'll help you out a little bit more. Right? That would make sense. But that's not at all what God says. He says, if you repent, Jeremiah, I will restore you that you may serve me. And if you utter worthy, not worthless words, you may be my spokesman. In other words, it is a privilege to serve me, Jeremiah. It is an honor to serve me, Jeremiah. What do you mean telling me that I have let you down? I am God and you're not. Maybe you have confused the two. Maybe you've gotten confused about who's God and who is not God. But I'm going to tell you something, Jeremiah. You're not God. You're the one who's supposed to be showing up. And then he says this. You need to repent. And I'm thinking, Jeremiah's the good guy here. He's the only guy that is good in the whole doggone story. What has he got to repent for? God says, Jeremiah, you're just as guilty of idolatry as everybody else. And you want to know what he had made an idol of? He'd made an idol of himself. He thought the story was about him. He thought the preaching was about him. He thought about the people's response was about him. And God says, it's never been about you. It will never be about you. You're just a tool in my story. It is my story. It is not your story. And you forgot who is supposed to show up to the party and who's not. And so he says, Jeremiah, you need to repent. And then he goes on and he says this. 
Your idol is you. He says, let the people turn to you, but you must not ever turn to them. He says, don't you dare compromise. Don't you dare shrink back. Anybody in the room ever get tempted to shrink back? Come on, anybody? Come on, anybody? He says, don't you dare shrink back. People at video, on video, listen, do not shrink back. He says, don't you dare become like them. This is what he says. He says this, I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze, and they will fight against you, but you will not over, but they will not overcome you, for I am, what is this? With you, and you've heard these words said to Jeremiah earlier in the book, because this is a reoccurring theme, where he's like going, am I doing the right thing here? Because God, I don't really see you. And, and God just tells him again and again, I am with you, you just keep going on, and I will rescue you, and I will what? Save you. In other words, Make a choice, Jeremiah. You've been toying with bailing out on your faith. Jeremiah, you've been thinking about like this whole thing isn't even worth it to you. And he says, you need to make a choice, Jeremiah. You need to decide. You're like at this fork in, in the road and, and you have begun to fear because of the persecution that has come in your way. You've be, become tempted to draw back from the call that I have placed on your life because of opposition, uh, because it's hard, because it takes sacrifice. Uh, you, you've been tempted to soften your message because you're afraid of offending people. But I've called you to give the message that I have, not that you have. Repent of that, Jeremiah. Repent of this temptation to shrink back. And he says, and if you repent, I will make you such a powerful force that your name will go down in history. I'll, 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 I'll utilize you in such a way that you will literally change the course of eternity for, for countless people. Friends, we're sitting in a room today, thousands and thousands of years later, talking about a man named Jeremiah. You think about that. I'm wondering how many people will be sitting around talking about us two, three thousand years from now. He doesn't shrink back. God calls him, says, don't you dare shrink back. But you've got to make a decision, Jeremiah. You can't do this faith thing halfway. Uh, it's like an all or nothing deal. And a lot of us in this room, we wrestled with this, right? Like with faith, like we're right there. We're like, I'm not so sure. We show up and we go, I feel good about that. But then Monday comes around. Come on. I'm not so sure. Jesus tells his closest followers the exact same thing, literally. He says this is an all or nothing sort of a relationship. You can't just toy with me. You can't just play with me. You can't just show up when you think it's worth it. He says, you need to be all in. Listen to how Matthew records Jesus' words. Jesus is speaking. He says this. Anyone, this is in chapter 10, he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying you can't love your mama. He's not saying you can't love your kids. Well, are you saying the family's not like number one? No. No, what he's saying is that you're supposed to love your family and all that, but your love for God is supposed to be so much more that it makes it look like everything else is a distant second. And if you do that, it'll go well for you in all those other areas. Listen to what he says. He says, he says, and anyone, are you ready for this? Are you ready? He, he says, and anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not even worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my namesake will find it. He says, you need to make a choice. God needs to be first and most in your life. Jesus says that I need to be at the center of your life. We talk about this all the time, that, that there's so much that is vying for the center of our life. There's so much vying for that space in our heart that, that we run after. And, and, and God is saying that, that I need to occupy this space in this space alone. That I am at the dead middle of who you are, that I am first and I am most. I am the greatest object of your affection and of your attention. And friends, let me tell you something. Everything in this world wants to take that and move it aside. Everything in this world wants to shrink your relationship with your heavenly father. Everything in this world vies for your attention and your affection. And let me tell you something, friends. It doesn't take long for you to wake up and your whole soul has gone dark. It's like... It's like the light of God has just gone out in your life. It does not take long, does it, to wake up and you're somebody that you never intended to be. That your heavenly father is a million miles away. And he says, Jesus says, you have to decide what this relationship is going to be like. You're at a fork in the road. And, and there's, at this fork in the road, it, it can't be somebody else's faith. I mean, some of us have grown up with parents that were incredible. And they handed faith to us. He says, but it can't be your parents' faith. It can't be your spouse's faith. It can't be somebody up on some stage that you respect. It can't be their faith. It's got to be your faith. It's got to be your relationship with your heavenly father. And let me tell you something, friends, that only gets harder when you face conflict and opposition. Come on. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder and harder. One of the most tragic stories comes uh, in the New Testament part of the Bible. Uh, one of the most tragic stories is written by John. And, and I don't even think he realized how tragic it was when he was writing it. Uh, he's not quoting anybody. He's not like telling a story that Jesus told, he's just making an observation about how people were reacting to God's work in their life. And listen to what he says uh, in the book of John chapter 12. Listen to this. He says, many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. Pause. There's a whole bunch of people, even the influential people, that were seeing the work of God through Jesus and they were, they were seeing something that was extraordinarily different and Jesus was pointing them to a relationship with God the Father and it says that many people came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the son of the living God, God made flesh and who made his dwelling among us. And then it says this, but because of the Pharisees, because of the religious ruling order of that day, they would not confess their faith for the fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They didn't confess their faith in God through Jesus because they were afraid of getting kicked out of church. Does that seem a little ironic to anybody in the room? But it says that they were afraid. And here's why they were afraid. And this isn't just them this is a whole bunch of us in this room, and this is me sometimes. Here's what he says. He makes this observation. They were afraid because they loved the praises of men more than the praise from God. 
You see, the real test of our faith is, is what do we do in the face of, of resistance? Is what we do in the face of opposition when, when it becomes difficult, when, when we make decisions that could literally cost us something. That's when our faith becomes real faith, right? So let's get this one thing straight. Following Jesus, and I don't know that you are, but I'm just kind of warning you. Following Jesus is not going to be an easy run. You're, you're going to have to make decisions, directional decisions in your life that will cost you. It may cost you friends. It'll definitely cost you some money. It'll cost you time and effort. It'll cost you in lifestyle decisions, entertainment decisions, but it will cost you. Jesus said it like this. You ready? Here's how Jesus said it. Listen to me. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Where? In heaven. He says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He, he, says, he says, there is something more to this life than the praise of men around you. There's something more in this life or to this life than, than just the opportunities around you. He begins to point us to the other side. He says, listen, days are going to come when it is going to be hard and when people stand up against your faith, but that's when you have to remember that great is your reward when? In heaven. He, he forces us to look toward eternity. He, tore, he, he, he shows us that just around the bend, there's something different. When things are hard, he says, just over the horizon is something better. You know, um, I was with a family at our church this week that lost their son, just a young man. And we were talking about how hard this is. Couldn't even imagine being in their spot. Couldn't even imagine but I said, one of the things that I think God wants to do in hard times is he wants to set eternity into our soul. He wants to set the picture of something more worth living for into us in a deep, deep way. And Jesus says, it will get tough. It will get tough. But great is your reward. Where? Look there. Keep your eyes there. You'll get lost looking around you here. Look there. Come on, anybody? Yeah. Peter, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, he had a lot of trouble early on in his walk with Christ. He struggled with doubt. Um, he denied his relationship with Christ many times. Um, he backed down when opposition came against him, but eventually something turned in him. Can I tell you what turned in him? Come on, can I? He saw Jesus die. And then he saw Jesus live. I don't know if you're kind of grabbing onto that or not. But when you see a dead man walking again, something flips in you. And I'm thinking, no duh. Right? Because before it was like, Man, Jesus, I think you're really cool. Like, Jesus, I mean, you're doing some stuff, like, it is like freaky stuff, and I don't even know how you're doing that stuff, but 
It's cool. And like, I could sit and listen to you all day long because when I'm with you and you're like teaching, I can like just, you ever had that kind of a thing? Like you can just keep talking because you're carrying me somewhere different and I'm digging that. And I even enjoy hanging out with you. But this whole Jesus, son of God thing, mm, not so sure. Jesus, God made flesh thing, mm, not so sure. Until he sees the dead man walking. And then you're going, I'm sure now. Right? Like, it don't, it don't matter how hard it is now because I see something different. Now I am with you. Now I am following you. Now I don't care anymore what anybody else says. And so Peter has this fundamental shift going on inside of him. And he attaches to this same idea. Listen very carefully. He attaches to the same idea and he says, listen, fellow believers, hard times are gonna come. And that's when you have to decide which way you're gonna go. There's a fork in the road coming for every single one of us. This is what he says. Listen to this. It's in his book called 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters. It's, it's his way of saying, I'm with you on this journey. I don't got it all right, but I'm with you. And I'm pleading my case with you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I've learned. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you'll be overjoyed when his what? Glory is revealed. He says, you're going to hit these walls and you're not going to like it and you're going to think about bowing but you look right around the bend and there's something happening. It's the glory of God is going to be revealed in your life and it's going to be later and it might even be in this place called heaven, but it is right around the corner and you just need to stay the course. You just need to keep on with it and you need to make faith real in your own life and you need to decide that and decide it now because days are coming where you're going to be tempted to compromise, but don't you dare. But don't you dare. One man I heard say, and I don't know where the saying started, but I heard a guy say this one time. If you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Listen, following Jesus is not about showing up to church and giving a few bucks or even being a good person. It is about hearing the voice of God, following the voice of God, where you are all in, where you say, Jesus, you are the Savior and I am not. You are God and I am not and I am with you no matter what comes my way. My hope, my trust, my confidence is in you. And I don't care what this world does to beat against that. And it will beat against it. It will beat against it. So here's what I want to do over the next couple minutes, just real quick. Um, 
I want to take you back into this little section of Jeremiah's life. We're, we're, we're looking at chapters 10 through 15, and he's about 10 years into his ministry, so I estimate that he is in his mid to late 20s at this point. And it's really the first time in his life that he is struggling about what he needs to do, where, where he's like, I am not sure that this whole faith thing is going to work out. And, and so Jeremiah is given this job as a prophet. And remember what the job description for a prophet is? It's to hear from God and then go do what God tells you to do. Go where God tells you to go and say what God tells you to. That's the whole thing. And God gives him possibly the worst thing ever to say. He is told, you go tell your fellow countrymen, the peoples of Israel, you go tell them that they suck and that they're screwed up. And if they don't change, it will not end well for them. And that's the only message I have for you, Jeremiah. Go ahead. That's your message. Now, you remember that the nation of Judah is where he lives. He lives in, uh, I don't know if you remember, it's, uh, Judah is now the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and it's been in existence for about 300 years at this point when, when Jeremiah is alive. Now, if you go back um, about 1,000 BC, there was this man named King David. Y'all remember this? King David united the people of Israel, all the tribes of Israel. They became a nation. They were one nation. About 100 years later, thanks to his grandchildren walking away from God, this mighty nation that, that was risen up uh, has fallen apart. It's become two nations. The northern part of the nation was called the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And the southern part is called the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, what's interesting is we know that the northern kingdom at 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire, remember those guys? Bad guys, bad dudes. They come in and they wipe out the northern kingdom. But because there was some faithfulness in the southern kingdom, God provided a way for them to exist. And now Jeremiah comes and says, but you're no longer faithful. And if you're not careful, it's all going to end. And he begins to preach this message. And he's telling them that they're engaged in worshiping idols. And remember what worshiping idols are, is, is it's not just a, a, like a statue that you build. It's anything that you put in the place of God as the ultimate pursuit of your life. It's, it's taking Christ out of the middle and moving him aside. He, he, he talks about, in the 10th chapter, about how uh, the people were engaging in all kinds of, uh, of literally like alcohol and drugs, things that were making their minds become something other than what God intended them to become. And so he, he preaches against drunkenness, right? And, and he preaches against sexual immorality. He says, you guys are so screwed up. He, he, he says he preaches against moral corruption of his day. He, he actually preaches that the people of God were not even taking care of the elderly among them. You're letting your own grandma fend for herself. What's wrong with you people? And he says the orphans among you it's like you're throwing them to the wolves. It's like you don't even care about what's right and about what's wrong. Now, I know that doesn't sound like America at all. But God was very upset with the people. And he sends Jeremiah with one simple, basic message. Repent or be destroyed. Repent or be destroyed. And repent or be destroyed. And Jeremiah was faithful. 
And he's given this message over and over. And he has given it with, with all the fire a man can, can come up with. He is passionate about this. He's creative about this. He's eloquent about this. But the people would not listen. They would not respond. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah ends this preaching that he does in the 10th chapter with these words. I'm just going to read two verses for you. And this is how it comes to an end. He's pleading with them. He's like, come on, guys, you got to change. Come on, guys, you got to come back to God. Come on, come on, come on. And this is how he ends it. So the Lord God says, now this is God speaking through Jeremiah. God comes in and says, Jeremiah, you're pleading with them, but I'm going to tell you where this is going to end. At this time, I will hurl out those who live in this land. I will bring distress on them so that they may be what? Captured. He says, listen to me. This report is coming. It's coming. He's being prophetic here. He's saying, this is coming. A great commotion from the land of the north. Anybody remember who the, who the people of the north are now? What's that little kingdom come into power? Anybody? Babylon. He says, Babylon is rising and you don't even know it. He says, listen. He's saying, listen, they're coming and it will make the towns of Judah desolate. But the people of Judah did not care, no matter how much Jeremiah pleaded with them. They simply did not care. No one responded. No one. Except for one person. Only one person responded to Jeremiah's preaching. And you know who that was? Care to take a guess? The only one that responded to Jeremiah's preaching was Jeremiah himself. Must have been a pretty good preacher to convince the preacher, right? But something shifts inside of Jeremiah as he's preaching about warning and about judgment and about sin and about idolatry. Sometimes I get up here and you think I'm preaching to you? No, I'm just preaching to me and you're listening in, that's all. And Jeremiah is preaching his heart out. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God convicts him. I want to read these couple verses to you. Listen to what happens. He says, I know, O Lord. He goes, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. In other words, God, you could do whatever you want with it. It is not for man to direct his own steps. And listen to this. He says, so correct me. <laughs> correct me, Lord. But only with justice, not your anger lest you reduce me to nothing. I'm thinking, correct me. That doesn't make any sense. Jeremiah is the only good guy in the whole doggone story. And he's saying, I'm the one who's guilty. I'm thinking, no, it's the people that are guilty. And Jeremiah's going, no, no, no. God, I get what this has been all about now. This is about me. The message you've been giving me is about me. It's about me moving things into the center of my life and moving you aside. It's about me putting things up on top that shouldn't be on top. And he says, correct me, oh God. Um, let, let me tell you, tell you something that you may be aware of, but some of you have not experienced this yet. And my hope is that you will, even today. When you are in the presence of God... I mean, really, when you get past, like, I'm here, and this can happen in this place, and you're like, I'm here, but I'm not really listening. 
I'm here, but this isn't really for me because I'm better than all these schmucks. When we get to the place where we say, speak, oh God. Talk to me, God. It's not about him. It's not about her. It's not about the guy in the back. This is about me. When we get to this place where we come into the presence of God, here's what God does. His Holy Spirit comes and it reveals so much inside of us. It reveals the darkness of our soul in ways that we never thought was possible. It opens up us to a whole new move from God. It's like when you buy something new. You know, like a new like shirt. Like I've gotten some new shirts lately. Right? And the thing is, I thought I had a bunch of cool shirts. Like, at least I thought they were cool when I bought them originally. And they're perfectly fine to me. I wore the same stuff for five years. I could care less. Right? Until you get something new. All of a sudden, you're in the closet with your new shirt. And then you realize all this other stuff is dingy. You know, it's just kind of worn. You know what I'm talking about? It's just kind of like floppy. It's just kind of worn out. It doesn't have style anymore. I'm thinking, man, I, I love that style back in 1994. I love that. <laughs> right? When you, when you step into the light of God, he reveals to you just how dingy your soul really is and how worn out your soul really is. It's worn from fighting him over and over and over. I'd like for you to watch this little video and then we'll wrap it up. I wonder if God is like this little girl in this story about a mom who's driving through traffic. Uh, the story goes something like this. This mom is kind of weaving in and out of traffic and she's having a real difficult time with the whole traffic thing. And she's got her little three or four year old girl in the seat behind her. And uh, every time somebody cuts her off or every time she can't make a certain move driving, uh, the mom's like, you're an idiot or you idiot or who taught you how to drive? You're such an idiot and you know, kind of just, you know, really having some road rage issues. And, uh, and so the little girl kept going, mom, mom, mom. And, and, and the mom's kind of ignoring, you know, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And uh, all of a sudden this little girl, she says, mom, I got a question. She says it over and over. And finally the mom says, what's your question? What do you want? And uh, the little girl just innocently says, mom, are you ever the idiot? I wonder if God is like that, where you know, we're looking at the world and the world is so bad and those people are idiots and those people are so terrible and the world is so messed up and it's true. The world is messed up. It is not judging to say that it is messed up because it is messed up. And and so much of the world is immoral and so much of it is 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 just hurtful and, and painful toward one another. And, and we're easy to accuse the world. It's easy for us to look at the world and to judge and to say how terrible they are. And I wonder sometimes if God's looking at you and me going, but what's wrong with you? Why can't you see this in you? You know, in the scripture, King David uh, says uh, to God, he, he, he literally is at this point of, 
of soul seeking. He says, search me, O God. Know if there's any wicked way within me. Know if there's any offensive way in me and make me pure, make me clean again. I heard this story that came from a book called Hearts of Iron, Feet of Clay by a guy named Gary Ingren. And uh, it's not a very popular book, but but he tells of this uh, one-time famous preacher uh, back in the old days in, in England. And this guy was a very gifted evangelist and he'd go around preaching and large crowds would come. And during his years of preaching, this evangelist, who I cannot remember the guy's name, but uh, he, he kind of fell into sin, you know? He started to think that, that he was the man instead of God being the purpose. He kind of began to think, you know, that he was, was the man. And, and he started to fall into some terrible sin. And in the book, it describes some of the ways that this guy fell. Uh, but he was going around preaching still still making a living from it. And and he knew that he was guilty. He knew that inside he was wrong, that he wasn't living what he was preaching. And uh, true story, one day, this preacher gets this letter from a lady that details in great description this guy's sin, what's going on with this guy's life. And, uh, and, and she says, if you get up on that stage tonight and you preach, one thing and you're living another i am going to stand up in that crowd and i'm going to call you out and uh, of course you know this preacher guy is like a little bit freaked out about this and he's thinking what am i going to do and uh, a little bit later that night he has this encounter with god where he repents and he turns to god and what was interesting is he gets up on that stage to preach and he starts off his message by reading that lady's letter, word for word, every word that she said. And he says, this is all true of me. And I repent and I turn from this and I confess this in front of all of you. And the crowd gasped, but those that were around that era, those who saw this guy from that day forward said that there was this new level of God-ordained preaching in him, where it was something different because the Holy Spirit had really gotten a hold of this guy and changed his heart. And, and, and this writer right, went on to say that from that day forward, his effectiveness in ministry was incredible. Friends, um, the scripture says, like Jeremiah, to, to look inward, to say, God, correct me first. God, deal with my heart first. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians to examine our hearts, to, to ask God to, to open up our soul, to be honest before God. Friends, let me tell you something. So many of us, uh, you, you come to church, and I come to church, and our families come to church, and it's one thing. But, but for the rest of our days, it's another thing completely. And our hearts are not right before God. There's some... Uh, there, there's this measure of, of blackness in our soul all the time, and we're living a lie. And God says to examine our hearts, just like Jeremiah had to examine your heart. And so, friends, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we are going to uh, participate together in this thing called Holy Communion. We're going we're gonna to come around this idea that each one of us individually has to stand before God 
and to confess our need for a savior, to confess our sin, to confess our waywardness, where we, where we say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. This is why we do communion. We don't do communion. I don't know if you're even familiar with communion. Communion is where we come and we remember what Christ has done for us. It is not a declaration that we're perfect. It's a declaration that we need Christ's redemption in our life. And so my hope is that you will spend a moment before God being honest, confessing your soul to God, confessing your sin to God, and asking him to forgive you, calling on him to be your savior. And we're going to have the campus pastors come and lead us in this thing called communion.